goodness, certainly pray for the whole family, especially the heart attacks. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for being so good, God. I thank you that you're good all the time. You're not just good on good days. You're not just good on sunny days. You're not just good when you're feeling God. You're good all the time. Lord, you're good in the midst of heart attacks. You're good in the midst of blood problems. You're good in the midst of allergies, God. You're good in everything in all times, God. And I just want to tell you, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. God, I thank you for forgiveness that we don't deserve. I thank you for grace and mercy that you abundantly pour out, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this place called Faith Baptist Church and for this group of people. Lord, I pray right now, will you touch us, Father? Lord, we come with one desire. We just want to know more about you. We just want to be closer to you. We just want to walk a life pleasing to you. God, is our heart's desire. Lord, we don't help us to not care about the things of the world or anything in it, God. But may we spend every minute trying to be closer to you, God. We love you, Father. We thank you. We trust you. I ask you, would you speak through your word tonight that each one of us might learn something, God, that would help us to be a better servant for you, that we might walk out of these doors a better servant. I pray you'd use us, God, that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Wednesday, we left off here, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, I thought I'd finish up chapter 6 two weeks ago, and we're still in it. But we left off verse number 15. At what concord hath Christ with Belial? And we kind of made it there and ran out of time. We want to take some time to stop and pray, as always. But tonight, I want to pick up where it continues on, verse number 15. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. If we didn't have any more Bible than that right there, we've got enough to shout about we got enough to, to, to be thankful for. we got every reason in the world to love him. If that was all he ever said to us, that's more than enough. The word there that he uses for infidel that, that Paul uses in verse number 15 is the opposite of a believer. Last week in closing, we made it, I mentioned Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? He says, what part hath the believer with an unbeliever? Or he talks about uh, the Christ with Belial. A believer and the unbeliever are going to be at odds at everything that matters. Nobody heard that. A believer and an unbeliever are going to be at odds at everything that is important. All right, I got up to three or four of you heard that. A believer and an unbeliever will not agree on anything that is very important. A believer says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And the believer knows all that to be true. The unbeliever says there was some kind of big, blank, big bang. There was some kind of explosion that things just happened. The believer says that God created Adam and Eve, that he created Adam from the dust of the earth and he created Eve from the rib of, rib of a man and that he breathed the breath of life into the nostril and they became a living soul. The unbeliever says, well, it's just this form of evolution. 
somewhere a mud puddle got too warm and things began to live in it, and all of a sudden you got a tadpole, and before you know it, you've got all this, even though they have no viable explanation as to where it all comes from, or why one living organism became all these millions of different plants and animals, but then nor do they have any answers to why it stopped evolving. I assure you, this body right here is far from perfect. Why did we stop right here? If we evolved from a tadpole to get to here, why in the world did we stop with this thing that aches and cricks and cracks and pops every time you turn the wrong way and hurts more often than not? The, the, believer, the believer says that a man ought to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. A believer says that a man ought to use a rod sparingly if he loves his children. That means that when your children are misbehaving and your children are going awry and your children are acting wrong, that it's okay to properly spank your children to teach them right from wrong. But the unbeliever says it warps their little mind. Well, I got news for you. Those that haven't been getting has got some warped minds. The believer says, according to the word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days, evil men shall wax worse and worse. The unbeliever in the view of the world says that through sociology and psychology and, and humanism, that eventually this will create a perfect society. Anybody feel like we're going in the wrong direction for that? The believer says that salvation is through faith and faith in Christ alone. The believer says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life according to the word of God. The believer says that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The believer says that because that's what God says. But the unbeliever says if you're going to get to anything called heaven, you've got to work your way in. That means you've got you to do more good things than bad things to try to kind of offset things. You've got to try to do enough to get in. Or you've got a believer that says there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You've got an unbeliever that says there's no such thing as heaven and hell. It all ends at death. You and I are believers. We're believers in this book. We're believers in the gospel. We're believers in Jesus Christ. We're believers in the virgin birth. We're believers in the death by crucifixion. We're believers that the blood of Jesus cleanses sins. We're believers in the third day resurrection. We have no part with the world that does not believe. That's what he says. He says, what part do you have where there is to be a complete separation, a redirection of our thought process? I'm not saying that, that we can't be where they are. We work in the same places where they are. We, we go to school where they are. We, we shop in the same stores where they are. But what we cannot have is constant fellowship with that. The world will continually try to pull you back to it. You cannot walk with the world. You can share the gospel, and if they're not willing to accept Jesus Christ, you cannot continue to hang on. One of the two is eventually going to have to give because the, the, the Christian and the infidel, the believer and the non-believer will always be pulling in opposite direction. He says, how can they go together? He goes on. He says there in verse 16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? The word used there for agreement, it means to have an understanding with or, or to have common grounds together what common grounds does the temple of god have with the temple of zeus what common ground does the temple of god have with the temple of buddha none there's no common ground between the temple of god and the temple of idols and he says what what is there there now this is the only time that you find this word here in all the gospel that he uses for agreement that there is a verb form of that word 
Thomas used over in the book of Luke is talking about Joseph of Arimathea. And when Joseph came and he wanted the body of Jesus, but you remember the Bible says that, that he was a counselor and that he was a, a just man and that he was a good man and that he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was searching for the kingdom of God, but he was not in agreement with, with those of the Sanhedrin council. Luke 23, 51 says the same had not consented to the council indeed of them. So it's saying he didn't have any part with the Sanhedrin. He didn't believe in what they were doing in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that he wasn't in agreement with them who had voted for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What's the answer? None. We have no agreement as the temple of God. We can have nothing in common and there can be no compromise we talked about it for the last couple weeks you cannot walk straddling the line you cannot walk one foot in light and one foot in darkness you cannot walk one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world you cannot and will not walk straddled you'll walk on God's side or you'll walk on the world's side he will not allow you to walk half in and half out God will put us on our knees anybody say amen God demands that we be holy for he himself is holy. He says, for you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The promises of God's abiding presence goes way back past this. You remember back in the Old Testament when God commanded Moses, he told him to build the tabernacle. The reason that he wanted to build the tabernacle was so that he could abide behind the veil, so that he could stay back, so that God's presence would be with his people. Everybody on page, right? Raise your hand. You know what we're talking about. The presence of God was behind the veil, set between the cherubims on the holy of holy. But it was so that God's presence could be there among the people. It says, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God pitched his tent. He had Moses and the people pitch his tent the same way that Jesus came and pitched his tent. John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the word of God, we have the Old Testament prophets and we have the New Testament promise. Everything in God's word either has come true or will come true. You look at the children of Israel. After the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and we all know that story is Wednesday night, so I don't have to camp out and teach right here. They were delivered out of Egypt, and they got there, and they, they lack of faith. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they got all the Levitical law, and they got all the commandments from Exodus. They got all this thing that they can't do. And one of the things that they cannot do is mingle with those of the world. You cannot mix with those of other nations. You are my children. They are not. You can't mingle with them. Well, when they crossed over the Jordan River, that did not change. When they entered into the promised land, things did not change. When you crossed over on the other side, they were supposed to still keep the same laws of God. But what happened when they got on the other side, they began to mingle with the unbelievers. They began to mingle with those of the world, and because of that, they began to defile themselves. And then they began to bring idols in, and they began to defile the temple of God with the idols. So God allowed them to be destroyed and carried away captive by Babylon, right? So everybody knows the story. The reason God's children was, was taken over by Babylon and destroyed is because they continued to defile the temple of the living God. After the return from Babylon, 
God renews his promise. He, he foretells of the regathering of the people. And then he's looking ahead to the millennial. And then even beyond the millennial over into the eternal reign. Now, anybody excited about eternity? No better day coming. But God makes a new promise with the Hebrew children. He talks about becoming a holy children. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, he says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk with my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. My tabernacle also will be with them, yea, I will be their God. They shall be my people, and the heathens shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Those are promises that are made. God's not done with Israel. God didn't write them off, cast them off, throw them away. God's not done with Israel. He's made a lot of promises of things that will happen for the nation of Israel, but he's made a lot of promises to the church also. Anybody know who the church is? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. You're the church. That's who we are. We are the temple of the living God. We are the church. He's made some promises. Jesus, Matthew 26, and verse 27. He's there with the disciples. He took the cup. He gave thanks. said, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You and I are given an even higher position than the nation of Israel. We live on holier ground because Christ came for us. Think about the same God who dwelled in a tent to be close to them is the same God that now says, I will live in you. I will be in you. Yes, I came. I was in a cloud to give them shade by day and a fire to give them light by night. I was in a cloud inside of a tent to be among the people. That same God says, my desire for you is to live in you. It is to walk in you. It is to be in you. It is to have a personal one-on-one relationship with you. Somebody ought to be happy. Think about the magnitude of the statement. You're talking about a God who can speak a single word and a hundred billion galaxies could fling into existence. You're talking about a God who, who can just speak a single word and every angel and all the host of heaven will surround his throne and begin to sing praises to his name. A single word and, and the, the, the four and 24 elders round about the throne and all the host of heaven falls down before him and worships him. That God lives inside of you and I. The psalmist says, what is man that thou art even mindful of him? Think about that. We, we live on this microscopic planet. Anybody that thinks the earth has anything to it has never studied very much in astronomy. We, we live on this little 
microscopic piece of a planet out in the middle of nowhere. We're 30,000 light years from the galactic center of the universe out here in the middle of nothing. And God made us out of a speck of dust. Y'all ain't, ain't getting it yet. He spoke into existence all that there is. He telleth the number of the stars and calleth them all by name. There's over a hundred billion that we know of, and we can barely see the inside part of it. 30,000 years from the galactic center of the universe, we can't even see past center until it's on the other side. We're just on this little microscopic planet in the middle of nothing, and we were made from a speck of dust. Can I tell you something about a speck of dust? The thing of which we were made from. When I was in high school, I was in FFA and horticulture and did a lot of things, and we made pots and plants, and we did things the same as Callaway does now. We buy their plants every year. You do the classes, you put the flats, you put the seed in, then you grow plants, and you transfer them over into hanging baskets, and you sell them to raise money for the school. I love doing that stuff. But if you were working on something, and you said, hey, I need a little more dirt, you just got a zero for the entire day. It doesn't matter how good a work you did the rest of the day. It don't matter how good your paper was, how good your speech was. If you're working on a plant and you're putting something in, you say, hey, I need a little bit more dirt. If you use the word dirt referring to soil, you just got a zero because they're not the same thing. Soil is the uppermost layer of the earth's crust, which contains the organic as well as mineral matter necessary for the growth of plants. Soil is a living particle with all the ingredients necessary to produce the growth of living plants. Many people think that soil and dirt is the same thing. It's not dirt. It's what you get under your fingernails. Dirt is a dead substance that can grow nothing. Soil is a living substance. Dust comes from dirt. 70% of the dust in your house comes from walking in with dirt on your shoes. The dirt becomes dust and settles. No, it's not your skin. That's not a dead you lying all over your furniture like some people tell you that it is. If it is, you need to take a shower at least once a day. As long as you take a shower, you wash all that off. All that dust you keep picking up, that's not a dead you. That's dirt coming off your shoes. That's coming from your pet. That's coming from your carpet. That's coming from pollen. That's coming from stuff. And that little speck of dust, if you could pile it all up, Lord knows I don't know where it all goes because it seems like every house makes a dump truck load of it a day. I don't know where it's all at, but if you could pile it all up in a pound, you still have nothing. It's a pile of dead nothing. If you could put all the dust of the world together and put it there, you have a great big pile of nothing. That means that God took a little bitty speck of absolutely worthless nothing, and he made you and I. And he says, I love you so much, I'm going to come dwell in you. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. What kind of God is that? Does that make sense to anybody? He says, I made you from nothing. That tells me that I am nothing, and he loves me in spite of me. While I was yet sinners, he climbed up on that old rugged cross and died on my account that I might be called a child of God, that I might live with him for all of eternity. What kind of God is that? That's our God. My goodness. Well, Lord, help us. I always say I'm going to finish. That's why I can't never finish one of these chapters. I want to just do it, but somehow you always just wind up preaching somewhere. God says that we are the temple of God, that we're to have no agreement 
If we are the temple of God, and we are, if you're a saved, born-again child of living God, you are, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and through us, Jesus Christ is our Savior, our propitiation, our defense attorney, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on my behalf, and God is my Father, living inside of me as a part of the Trinity is all there. We have no part with the world that spit in the face of Jesus Christ. Yes, of such were some of ye, but the key word is were, we're not anymore. He died for me in that shape, and I'm not there anymore with somebody new. We are to have no fellowship, no communion. We can't walk arm in arm with the same crowd that spit in the face of Jesus Christ, drug him up on a skull-shaped hill, nailed him up to a cross of wood, snatched out his beard, mocked him, and made fun of him. We were in that crowd. Anybody thankful you're not in that crowd anymore? Anybody been delivered from that crowd? Anybody been washed in the blood, your name's written down in heaven? Anybody going to heaven when you die just because of what he did for you and I? Anybody, all things have passed away, behold, all things have become new? We have no part. We cannot walk arm in arm with that which is still defiled. That's what Paul's telling us. So Paul gave us a command. Then Paul reviewed the command. But then he goes on here and he repeats the command. So he talks about the command three different times in three different ways just to show us how important it is. He says in verse number 17, he goes on, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Paul is still quoting scriptures. Remember, he, Hebrew, Pharisee, um, is touching the law of Pharisee. Remember, he is well educated in the law. When he was Saul, when he was living in the world, he learned all this stuff. He knows the law. And he's still quoting these Old Testament scriptures because a lot of the people that he's talking to and a lot of the people that he's writing to, they are Jews and, and they understand the law. And so what God is doing is he's taking these passages from the law and he's using Paul to convert these things, to write them to the New Testament church the same way that the Holy Ghost reveals it to them so that you and I understand that just like the nation of Israel was was to be ye separate from all of the other nations of the world. You as God's children are to be ye separate from those who are not God's children. She's just bringing the correlation. That part I had, that's why I said, oh, love the Lord thy God and love the neighbor. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophet. The law is still there. They were not to hang with the other nations, and you and I aren't to hang with the infidels. You and I live in a world full of unclean stuff. We live in a world full of unclean books, unclean magazines, unclean movies, unclean television programs, unclean music. They are unclean things that lead to unclean practices that lead to unclean lifestyles. How in the world would you say that on a Wednesday night? You need to preach that on a Sunday morning. They are unclean things. No, Wednesday night, some of you right now, you got your radio dialed out there to something, and it ain't gospel. Some of you watched something before you came here on television. You ain't got to crawl out under the pew when we leave. I'm probably worse than you are, and we don't know now what you watch, so don't give it away by the look on your face. You're going to go home and watch stuff that ain't fit to watch. You, you're going you're to watch movies. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I'm hoping wrong, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you. 
we put that stuff in that is not clean. It is produced by the world, of the world, for the world, and if it did not change things, they wouldn't put it out there. That's the reason they show all those commercials. You saw it won't matter. It's just a two-hour movie, and somebody explained to me why a company spends billions of dollars on a 30-second commercial because they can change your mind. They will get you out of your warm, cozy seat, unwrapped out of your polar fleece blanket, make you put your shoes on, drive all the way to town and buy a pizza because that thing looks so good. And they did it in 30 seconds. And you think a two-hour movie doesn't change the way you think? Do you think the kind of music doesn't change our mentality? Those are things of the world. They are unclean things that produce unclean practices that will produce unclean lifestyles. What Paul is telling us is stay away from that stuff. It will alter you. It will change you. Well, i got to quit preaching. I ain't even going to finish tonight. You hear people in church, they're talking about, well, it's not really all that bad. It ain't really all that bad. I'm going to sit around, I'm going to drink beer, and I'm going to listen to my country music. Ain't nothing really all that bad. If I have one too many, I know it. Well, I'm going to watch this, and I'm going to go to that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, because it ain't really all that bad. It's just a little something. It ain't, it ain't really all. Well, here, here's a story that, that can kind of maybe help us determine what's bad and what's not. How many remember before there was washing machines and dryers? Let's see. I'm getting some A's going on in the house now. Find out who the grandparents are. So before everybody had a washer and a dryer, even the generation behind, we've at least heard the story of how they walked 45 miles one way in the snow down in South Alabama where it never got under 70. But y'all catch up with that in a minute. You'll get that when you get home. And, and there was no washers and dryers, and all the washing had to be done with the bucket, and you had to go draw the water out of the well, and you had to get the wash tub, and, and you had to get that old scrub board, and, they, and, and the women scrubbed them clothes till the knuckles about bleeding and trying to beat it out, and then they go hang them up and, and get them up on the line dry. And, and so the, this woman sees her husband, and he's wore his shirt for a couple times, and he's got it off, and, you know, it's going to start showing right there around the collar and right there around the cuff. I don't care how much showers you take. It's going to show around the cuff, and it's going to show around the collar. And so she sees him over there, and he's checking his collar, and he's checking the cuff, and he's worn it a couple times. And, and what he's doing is a good thing. He's checking to see if that shirt's clean enough to wear again. Because what he don't want is for his wife to have to do unnecessary work. So he's checking to see, can he just get one more wear out of this shirt? And she says, honey, I know what you're doing. And I appreciate it, but if it's doubtful, it's dirty. Nobody got that. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. That'd be a really good way to look at what we listen to. That'd be a really good way to look at what we watch. That'd be a really good way to analyze what we talk about and who we talk to. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. That's just a good way for us to analyze every aspect of our life. 
We're not to mingle with the things in the world because it is a compromise with the things that can and will defile us. That's what Paul's telling us. He's telling us the promise here. Here at the end of the verse, he says, if you'll stay away from these things, he says, I will receive you. Y'all's Bible say that? And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. How many people do we know that if we treated the way we treat our God, they would still want to have anything to do with us? How many people do we know if we abused them, trampled over them the same way we trample the blood of Jesus Christ with many of our actions and words and things that we do? How many people do we know that if we abuse them that way, they would want to have anything to do with us? Yet God says, separate yourself from them, and I will receive you. Then if that ain't enough, he says, I'll be a father unto you. (laughs) That positions us even higher. God just said, you and I are in the royal family. Our father is the king of all the universe and the other universes and the other galaxies. Anything that has ever happened, anything that ever will happen, In a hundred billion years ago, he was king. In a hundred trillion years from now, he's king. We are in the royal family. We are members of the royal family. That is our father. We, We get to call him father. Do you understand that not an angel in heaven can call him father? None of the cherubs can call him father. He is a father to you and I. None, no, no throne, no dominion, no power, no principality. No one else can claim what you and I get to claim. He is our father. Purchased us. Redeemed us. He said we are a peculiar people. I told you that word peculiar means we are a purchased people preserved forever. Y'all like that word peculiar now, don't you? Peculiar ain't like what it is, what we think. A purchased people preserved forever is who we are. And for all of forever, he is our father. Not just our creator, but our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our hope, our restoration, our strength. Everything that we need in times of trouble, everything that we need on good days and bad, He is our Father. No wonder God says that we're to be separate. We're to be a holy people. We're not like the world. We were. I'm ashamed of that. I wish I wasn't. I wish I didn't have that. I wish I didn't have a past. Anybody wish you didn't have a past? The only good thing about a past is it lets me look back and know there ain't nothing back there I want. There ain't nothing back there any good. Not only that, but it lets me look back and say, what kind of God is it that could forgive me of that and love me in spite of me? That's the only good thing about the past. It just lets us see how good God's grace really is. A purchased people. So Paul gives us a call to service. We've got to pray. 
Paul gives us a, a call to suffering, and, and there at the end of, of the chapter, he gives us a call to separation. What we'll do, we'll, we'll stop right there, Lord willing, we'll start with chapter 7 next week. Here in chapter 7, Paul gives us a, a threefold um, call to sanctification. Sanctification is the same thing as separate. Sanctification is to be set apart for an holy use. You kind of get where we're going? He don't just want us to be separate to sit over here and be different. He wants us to be separate so that he can send us over there to tell them about Jesus. So we go from just being separate to being sanctified. Sanctified is set apart for an holy use. So Lord willing, we'll start there chapter 7 next week. For tonight, you heard the prayer request. You know the things that we looked at. I want us to take some time to come and pray. It's a Wednesday night Bible study. It's a Wednesday night prayer meeting. I want us to pray for the sick. I want to ask you to pray for a judgment journey if you would this weekend. I would love to see ticket sales increase. I know we added in a weekend and we were a little late getting it on the radio and some things like that, but it's okay. Pray for every soul that does come. I'm praying that souls will be saved this weekend. I'm praying that lives will be changed, and I'm including ours in that prayer. I want God to change something in me. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just come through here on a Friday night and Saturday night and leave here unchanged. I want God to do something in me the same way he does something in everybody else. I want God to do a work in us. I want God to grow us spiritually. I want God to, to strengthen us spiritually and make us something that we're not. So that's my prayer that everybody that comes on this campus leaves here changed, leaves here different, having been anointed by the power of God to be something better than we were when we got here. I'm going to ask if you would, everybody just continue to pray. But I don't ever, I don't ever want us to come together and walk out this door not knowing that everybody in here either knows Christ or has had an opportunity to know Christ. It'd be a shame for somebody to attend services where we attend church and walk out lost. may not can change that, but we can certainly give you an opportunity to know the difference. Does anybody here tonight say, I do not know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I died, I'd go to heaven. And the reason I know I'd go to heaven is because I've trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. No other way. Not because you go to church. Not because you're in church on Wednesday night. Not, not because your parents are the preacher. I know I'd go to heaven because I've trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. If you cannot say that, if there's anybody here tonight, you do not know that you're a child of God because you've trusted Christ. Nobody's looking. Nobody will point you out. Nobody will come to you. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. You slip your hand up and say, I, I just don't know. I want to go to heaven, but I don't know for sure that I would. I don't want anybody to leave here with any doubt. So let, 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 me, let me give you some words of encouragement for those of you that raised your hand. I, I, want, I want everybody in this place to continue to pray. I want every Christian in here to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would move and would make some clarity for those that need clarity. 
and help with decisions for those that need to make decisions. I'm asking Christians to pray. There was a day when you and I were on our way to hell and somebody prayed for us. Christians, I want you to pray. For those that raised your hand, you said, I do not know that I know that I know. The only way you can know is through Jesus Christ. The only way that you can know you're going to heaven is if you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I said it earlier. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That means he's the only way. The Hebrew says it's appointed unto man wants to die after this, the judgment. That, that is the physical death. But after that, there's a spiritual. We know that we must be born again. Jesus said, except the man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. The Word of God tells us that there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's all about Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation. He is the salvation. And He's the all that there is. He's the only way to God. He says, I stand at the door and knock. The only reason you'd raise your hand tonight is because you got questions. And those don't come from anything but the Holy Spirit knocking on your door. You must confess that you're a sinner for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Romans tells us that, chapter 3 and verse 23. So we know that we're all sinners. We know that the wages of sin is death. That death is the second death. That, that's the death of hell. He goes on in Romans 6, 23 and says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there must be a confession of your mouth. You must confess that you're a sinner. You must ask the Lord to come into your heart. And you must ask him to save your soul. And you ask those things in Jesus' name. Tim was telling the story earlier about his son getting saved. I, I agree with Tim. I think he was saved in Newnham before he ever went to the church. Because the salvation is the position of the heart, not the words of the mouth. So he might have had to drive somewhere to meet that preacher to say the words of the mouth. But when he made up his mind in his heart that he wanted to be saved, that's the point when salvation took place. So tonight, if you're willing to surrender your heart, and say, Lord, I am a sinner, and I'm asking you to save my soul. I want to walk out of here tonight with the security of knowing that I'm a child of God because I've trusted you as my Lord and Savior, and I know that you're able to wash away my sins. I know that you're able to save my soul. I know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think, and I'm asking you to save my soul. I ask these things tonight in Jesus' name.